name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. You know, you are the the young adults of your churches. You are the the future of your churches, and I, I don't, I, I don't know. I still kind of think I'm a young adult. Um, so I think I'm just like you. I don't think I have any extra expertise or any extra, you know, you know, I, I really don't know that you should be listening to me, to be honest. But one thing is for sure is I want to listen to you. Um, and so I don't know if this is going to work, uh, but pull out your cell phones um, and um, see if you guys have... Do you have cell phone reception down here? No, no you don't, eh? Okay, well, I had, I, had, I had created this online poll so that you could answer anonymously, but I guess you'll just have to put up your hands and answer, you know, not anonymously. Um, to, and my question is, why have the organizers asked me to speak about active leadership, ownership, and role in the church community? I want to hear from you. So leadership, legacy, handing something on. What else? Yeah. So being r role models for the younger, a younger generation. Okay. Yeah. Who are here? So not just the younger generations, but, you know, not just vertically, but horizontally, you know, in terms of, of, of generations or micro generations. Okay. There's no right or wrong answers. This is, you're, you're trying to guess what the organizers, you know, had in their heads, right? So you can guess whatever you like. What else? I'm not looking for a particular answer. No, please. Yeah. Um, I guess also share what we learn in the church community to our outside world with the secular world, with the, mm -hmm. our colleagues or mm -hmm. classmates as well, not just in the church. Okay, I want to ask you a question. Oh, please, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. 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 Yeah, so you, we learn by doing, we learn by, by and, and we have to put ourselves, we have to put something of ourselves into something so that we can get something out. And you're talking about evangelism, looking outside this, the, 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 the flock of Christ for, you know, to take what we have and share it, share it outside. I'll ask you a question, um, and I don't really don't know the answer to this, um, in your um, parishes, in your local parishes, because it's probably very parish dependent, so you might even have different answers. Is it easy for you to get involved in your parish? And uh, if the, you know, the answer is yes or the answer is no, why? What makes it easy? It's easy. Or what makes it, there, what, what are the obstacles? Uh, well, from my point of view, there's a lot of 
So there's more um, reasons why it's harder to be, be involved than it is to just not be involved. So for example, um, anything to do with organizing or managing the church. Usually, well, from my point of view, a lot of our parents take on those responsibilities, or the older um, church members take on those responsibilities. Um, then, um, personally, being a woman in the church be, is a little bit different than being a man in the church. There's a couple barriers in terms of that. And then, it just depends on like where, like, so within our church right now, it's a, like, I'm at a point where I'm youth, but I'm not really youth. I'm also, like, you know, in that age where it's like, not considered youth anymore. So, um, yeah, I would say there's tons of barriers, but uh, sometimes there's more barriers than it's uh, like easy paths to joining something, right? So, we'll be getting involved. Hmm. Thank you, Rebecca. That was very, that was very honest. What is, let's hear from somebody else. Is it easy? Is it hard? And why? Yeah, please. There's a really good book, and I was going to use that as the basis of, of this talk, but I didn't, know, I didn't know if it was actually relevant to you, although it's relevant to like 95% of other churches at large in North America, so, you know, chances are. Um, and um, um, uh, it's called, Why Are the Youth Leaving the Church?, right? And the basic one-word answer is because they're not being given an opportunity to be heard and to participate. Um, the other reason why I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't feel like that's maybe where God is sending us today together is because I need to give that talk to your parents, <laughs> not to you, right? I'm telling you what you already know and you just told me and there's tons of research, qualitative research and quantitative research from all these different churches and these, these there's, it's called the, the Barna Group. They, they basically research churches. You know, why churches are doing well, why churches die. And that's what they're, the Barna, B-A-R-N-A, you can look them up online, right? And, and they're, you know, they're one of their top executives wrote this book, right? I'll give you the reference afterwards. Um, um, and, uh, and that's why, but, but it's, cr it's, it's critical that we're here. It's critical that you and I are here now um, because you and I are the link. Like in Hebrews 12, right? Uh, it's, it, it, it says that to run the race with endurance. But what's Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith, right? And, and then... Following that is the Hall of Faith, you know, like there's the Hockey Hall of Fame in, in downtown Toronto. Well, Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Faith. It's the heroes of faith, you know, and by faith, Abraham, da, 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 and by faith, Sarah, da, 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 and by faith, Moses, and by faith. And then it, Hebrews 11 ends with, and these were not made perfect apart from us, that they should not receive the reward and the promise without us. Do you get that? Like, like, why has 
Moses, Abraham, all the saints, St. Mary, not received the fullness of their reward because the body of Christ is not yet complete without you and without me and without the generation that's under you and without your brothers and sisters who aren't here at this conference but would be in this age group and without the people, your friends and colleagues at school and at work and so on because the body of Christ is not yet complete. God wants to reward us all together. I remember being a kid and growing up and my um, on my sister's birthday, she would get like a big present. My parents would get me something small so I wouldn't feel left out you know on my birthday i get a big present she would get something you know i don't know a book or a new dress or whatever you know what i mean and now i have children and and uh and, and we do the same thing you know right god doesn't want us to be left out and our brothers and sisters and our fathers and mothers church don't want us to be left out but it's not just you and me it's it's everyone else that's not here what about them and i have a message to tell you that why are my father's you know, uh, 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 Father, Father Abby and Father Thomas and all the fathers, why are they so effective in reaching you? Because they're close to you. In age, they grew up here. They know, what you, they know what you're going through, right? But who knows, who can be the link to, the, to, to those people that you mentioned other than you? Like, I got to tell you something. Jesus is not going to be incarnate in a major in Bethlehem again. He will be incarnate on the altar every day that you and I can participate in his body and be the body of Christ incarnate here and now. No one else is going to do it. No one else is going to do it. You are the link between this age-old, ancient, perfect, beautiful church, the body of Christ, and all these people groups that you mentioned, your, your, your colleagues, same age, the people who are younger than you, your friends and colleagues at work and school and so on. No one else is going to do it other than you. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He doesn't say let my works shine. He says, you will do greater works than I did. You don't believe it? Look at all that the church has done through history. There are multiple criticisms of the church and history, and I am not um, discounting that. But in this day and age, more than 50% of healthcare offered across the world is offered through the church. More than 50% of education offered across the world is offered through the church. More than 50% of hunger relief through the whole world is offered through the church. The church does not have a perfect bill of history. And the easy sellout for us as Orthodox say, well, that's the Catholic church. Well, that's no, I'm not going to do that. We're one body of Christ, right? But if you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you're going to throw it all out. You're going to throw out 50% of healthcare, education, hunger relief, and all the other things that the church is doing now, right? Doing greater works than what Christ did on earth in his time in our time he's doing it through us and no one else is going to do it in ezekiel 22 god says i sought for anyone among them who would repair the wall and stand in the breach before me on behalf of the land so that i would not destroy it god's saying i don't want to destroy it but i found none who will answer the call 
Who will rise up? Who will do something? You and me. There's nobody else. All that Christ left us after his ascension was the church. He didn't leave us an institution. He didn't leave us a seminary. He didn't leave us a philosophy. He, all he left us was the body of believers. Church, ecclesia, gathering of people called out for a purpose. That's all he left, a bunch of people who had followed him. And he told them, wait in Jerusalem to receive the Holy Spirit. The church has institutions, but it is not an institution. The church has buildings, but it is not a building. The church has bishops and priests and deacons, but we also have the priesthood of all believers. The church is not an exclusive community. It is open-ended. All are welcome. All may become members. All, no matter who they are, what their rank, their age, their gender, their language, their culture, their income, are invited to become members of this new covenant, are invited to take part in the kingdom of God. But that's not what the newspapers tell us. The newspapers tell us that churches are being torn down, that churches are being converted into condos. In fact, I had a bunch of statistics, but I'll forego them because they're devastating. They will make you cry. Who will tend to this broken, wounded body of Christ? God is calling you and he's calling me to tend his wounds, this wounded body of his, to tend it. The next Bible verse, I was going to make a slide of it, but it hurts me so much. I put it in my notes, but I didn't even want to display it. It's from 1 Samuel 15, verse 9. It's 1 Samuel 15. The story in 1 Samuel 15 is, you know, Israel, after they had gone out of Egypt and so on and so on, came a guy named Samuel, and then they told Samuel, we want a king. He told them, God's your king. He said, no, we want a king like the nations. So Samuel got really upset. God said, why are you upset? They didn't reject you. They rejected me. Give them a king, but warn them that this king is going to take their children and go to war. Take their sons and go to take their daughters and make them bakers and cooks in his, in his kitchens. Take their this and pay them make them pay taxes and all this stuff, right? And he gives them Saul. He gives them Saul and Samuel tells Saul, God wants you to go and kill the Amalekites, annihilate them. It's called the genocide of the Amalekites, which is a whole other question. How can God command genocide? Men, women, children, animals, everything. Wipe them off the face of the earth. So Saul goes, but this is what he does. But Saul and the people spared a gag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Samuel comes. And Saul goes out to meet him, says, I did what God told me to do. Samuel says, what do I hear? Is that the bleeding of sheep and oxen? God kept me up all night and told me, as Saul has rejected my commandment, I have rejected him as king forever. And God said the most painful thing, and he found it also in Genesis 6 in the Noah story. And God repented that he had made Saul king. What's the key word? It's in the verse I read to you. Saul was unwilling. I beg you from all my heart, with the most sincere tears I have, 
O God, may we not be unwilling. May May we be, Lord, the generation which is willing to answer your call and to follow you wherever you call us to. In Judges 2, which is before Samuel, it says that when the generation had been gathered to their fathers, they all, they all died, and another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel, then the children of Israel forsook the Lord there of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were all around them. Statistics show that it only takes three generations for a church to disappear completely. Three. The Ukrainian church in in North America, specifically in Canada, over 50 years, 1950 to 2000, okay, had 10% registering in the Canadian census as belonging to the Ukrainian church. Over 50 years. They went from 100% to 10%. The Armenian church put out an edict in 2006 that they would only use old church Armenian language in their prayers. Within five years, they almost lost all of their youth. We often think like, it'll be okay. Like, it's kind of like how we think about the environment, you know, like I don't have to recycle or whatever, or, or maybe how people before us, maybe all are very environmentally conscious. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about it because it, it's, it's going to affect like, I don't know, people a hundred years from now. You know what three generations are? The, this is a picture of my daughters, Anastasia and Zoe, going for a walk together in our neighborhood. It means that my grandchildren, when I'm old and decrepit and in diapers, my grandchildren are going to be visiting me at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning and saying, Grandpa, we brought you brunch. And I'm going to be saying, it's 10 a.m. on a Sunday. What are you doing here? And they're going to say, what do you mean? And I'm going to say, why aren't you at church? And they're going to say, what church? My grandchildren, Anna and Zoe's children, are going to be visiting their grandfather priest who can no longer go to church and hasn't been for a while enough not to know that there actually is no more church. Because I didn't care for it. I will have no one I can point the finger at other than myself. Every generation has to do what it can. Every generation has to be actively serving. When I was in high school, I I heard about the Army Reserves and I wanted to join the Reserves, right? And my whole selling point to my parents was, I don't have to go to war. I'm just in the Reserves. Are you in the Reserves or are you actively serving? A Gallup poll of American churches showed that only 10%, 10% of churchgoers, people who label themselves as churchgoers, also say they are actively serving. 50% say that they have no interest in actively serving. Fine. What does that mean? 
That means that there's another 40% who are not serving, but don't self-report on that same survey saying, I don't want to serve. That means that we could go from 10 to 50. There's willingness to go, to, 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 to multiply the manpower of the church by five. How many people are actively serving in the church are not, and are not drowning in ministry? I have lists that if I wrote them on scrolls rather than writing them electronically, I could fill the hallways of this place of people I want to outreach and people I want to love and people I want to call and people if I told them, hey, let's go out for coffee, they would say yes. They would never come to the church, but they'll go to coffee for me with me. And I can share the gospel with them in a coffee shop. And I've heard confessions in pubs and bars and street corners. And yes... Yes, God will use you. God will use you. Yes, 50% don't care and don't want to invest anything in the church. Fine. But we could go from 10% to 50. We've got to make it happen. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know what that means? That means that God, when He created you, he created you to do a good work. Like you were custom built, custom fit, custom made to do something. A flathead screwdriver is made to screw flathead screws. The guy who made a flathead screwdriver knew that there were flathead screws out there. He either made one or the other first, but he knew that they were matched. And no Phillips screwdriver, no square screwdriver, no hex screwdriver is gonna ever be able to, 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 to to, to screw in that flathead screw. God made you. He designed you. He made you and me. And no one can do what you can do because God made you and me for it. So the for what can we do? The first thing we can do to get real practical is to know ourselves. Second, listen. Third, pray. Fourth, act in love. We're going to go through these relatively, relatively, some rel relatively quickly. The first is to know yourself. Proverbs tells us that he who rules his own spirit is better than he who takes a city. Better to know yourself than to rule a city, right? Better to know what you're good at, what you're not. Where you have to be super careful and, and you've got to tread with caution and where you don't. Because, you're, because you're, you're, you're proficient at that. God has given you that skill. There's five different areas where we can know ourselves. And I'm just going to breeze through this. But this could be, this could be like a whole talk or, or, or two on its own. One is what are the gifts God has given you? Spiritual gifts are, is power from the Holy Spirit that dwells inside you and me that allows you to do things that you would not otherwise be able to do. And it is for purpose, strictly for the purpose of the building up of the body of Christ. Classic example, healing. God gives a, a gift of healing to somebody. Who benefits, the healer or the healed? The healed, right? The healer is not supposed to get anything out of it, right? Which is a whole other, a whole other thing, right? Gift of knowledge, gift of prophecy, gift of faith. God gives unusual faith, which is uncharacteristic in the rest of the life of that believer. It's like a spike, you know, to people when he wants them to do, to step out in faith and do something that no crazy person in the universe would ever do. And when you look at the rest of the life, some people have been growing in faith all their lives. And God is calling us all to grow in faith. But sometimes he gives you a gift of faith 
When you look at the pattern of your life, my faith has been kind of just kind of growing ever so slowly and whoop, there's a spike because God wants you to do something. He wants you to step out in faith. He wants you to do something that you would never, ever have the confidence to have done yesterday, right? And you'll have that gift for as long as the church needs you to have that gift to do, to do that thing that God has put you there to do, right? Let us pray together and say, Lord, help me to discern your heart. What are you passionate about? What burdens your heart? You see hungry children on some ad on TV and that really pulls at your heartstrings. Uh, no, that's not for me. You see, I don't know, the homeless. I don't know. Um, kids not doing well in school. Uh, uh, sports camps. I, it could be anything. What is your heart? What are your passions? God loves you to love what you love, pending that it's holy, right? Maybe I love serving the poor. We do these dinners with the poor and we sit and we eat dinner with them and I love it. You know, we don't, we don't give them dinner. We sit and share dinner with them and they talk, we talk and, you know, and it's, it's, it's to efface all boundaries and no one's rich, no one's poor. We're all the same and, and I love that. My wife hates it. My wife thinks it's nonsense. My wife thinks if you want to help the poor, do something to help them stop being poor. We're different. What, what moves her heart is different from what moves mine, right? That's great. That's your heart, your abilities. You are good at some things, right? Other than your spiritual gifts, you have developed abilities, right? That are different from somebody else. Your personality, are you task oriented? Or are you people-oriented? Are you structured or are you unstructured? Are you, there's a whole bunch of these different things that you can do. You know, Myers-Briggs, if you want. You can disk analysis. You do all these different things to see what's your personality. Get to know, get to know yourself because God loves you and He loves you just the way you are and He made you for a purpose. And the last is your experiences, your educational experiences, your happy experiences, your sad experiences, all your experiences, your work experiences, your family, all of these things have, have, have cultivated you and me to be, to be someone. Oh Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. God, search me and show me who, who I really am and how I can serve you. Second is listen. The number one reason we were saying youth are leaving the church is because they don't feel heard and aren't allowed to participate. The number one thing you can do to help them not leave the church is to listen, to listen to them. Ask questions. You know, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What's up? You know, oh yeah, I had exams and this and that and so on. Yeah, right. You know, they had exams, but they showered. They had exams, but they went out with their friends. They had exams that right? All of us, right? So what's, re what's really there, right? Listen, ask questions. The word listen comes from the same root word as the word obedience. The old French word from the 13th century, obeir, means to obey, to be obedient, to do one's duty. God is calling us to listen and to do, to listen with the wholeness of our person. The Chinese character, you know, for the word listen is actually a combination of the character for the ear, the character of you, the character of eyes, the character of undivided attention, and the character of heart. Like Father uh, uh, Abby was just telling us, we can find seeds of truth in all the world. And here is, here is one of them. 
God is calling to listen with the wholeness of ourselves, to make us ourselves present with people, to take, it takes time. It just, it just has to take time. You see, but we, we live in this, we live in, in this, like, in this, la- in this world of FOMO, you know? Like, and if I do this, well, I'm, you know? And we have this, it's, you know, the philosopher Spinoza calls it horror vacui, like the, the, the fear of emptiness, the fear of a gap in my calendar. So we fill our, our time in it. But then when God sends somebody into our lives, well, you know, I'd really love to, I have about two minutes and then I've, I've got to go because I've made commitments. Make, make some space in your time when you know you're going to meet the people that we talked about, you know, the people younger than you, the people, same generation, the people outside the church, the people that stop coming. When you, when you know you're going to bump into those people, make sure you've made some time so that you can stop and talk to them. Because I'm not going to tell you, you know, just stop and listen to everybody and don't honor your other commitments. Well, that's not going to work either, right? So maybe we have to be a little less, a little bit less committed. The hermit fathers, the anchorites, right? What was it that made them what they were? Is that they were attentive to God. You know, one of the, one of the early church fathers, the desert father says, attentiveness to God is enough to transform us. Like, take all of our devotional practices, Okay. Prayer, liturgy, Jesus prayer, reading the Bible, reading the lives of the saints, the sayings of the fathers, all this stuff. All this stuff that we do, okay, is meant to do one thing. To bring us into attentiveness with God that He can transform us. No, you can't, you can't read to a caterpillar from here till kingdom come, okay? It's not going to become a butterfly, it's got to go through a transformational process. It needs to be transformed. It's not, it's not by reading the Bible cover to cover, you know, uh, eight times a year that I will be, I will be changed. It's by, it's by being in the presence of God attentively. And that's the mystery of the people who achieve the highest degrees of holiness while still human as, as, as we know it. We need to do some weeding. We need to just cut out some some weeds and make some room for the grass to grow you know my my brain my mind ask rebecca poor girl who had to reach out to me a zillion times to reach me is like a banana tree full of bananas you know the second that i close the door of my room and i sit and i'm going to sit with god and pray what happens right the circus goes you know right and and the monkeys are bouncing around in the banana tree one of the fathers a recent russian father says when you come to pray, you will recognize that your mind is like a banana tree full of monkeys that are jumping around. Do not lose heart, he says. Just be patient. One of two things will happen, most certainly. Either the tree will run out of bananas or the monkeys will get tired, right? Either you'll run out of thoughts that are assaulting your head constantly or you'll just get tired of thinking about them. So just persist at trying to be present in prayer and you'll learn how to be present with people. Another story that there isn't enough time for is a really holy man that I get to spend a little bit of time with every now and again. One day I asked him, Father, why do I feel like every time I sit with you, I'm in heaven? And he said to me, I don't know. I said, what are you doing? You're doing something. He's like, I'm I'm listening to you. 
And I asked him, Father, why is it that every time I ask you a question, he would like pause? There would be like, I ask him a question, then there's this awkward silence. <laughs> well, he says, and then he starts to answer him. I asked him, why is there that, why do you do that awkward silence? Are you like listening to God so God can tell you like what to tell me or something? You know, you know what he says to me? He says, he says, he says, no, when you talk, I just listen to you. I haven't stopped to think about what I think of what you're saying. I'm just listening to you. I'm like, so your, your brain is like totally quiet? He's like, yeah, because you can't listen until you stop talking. Whether you're talking with your mouth or talking with your head, you're not really listening if you're the one doing the talking. That man has every short encounter I have with him changes my life. So I asked him, how can I be like you? You know what he said to me? He said, you can never learn to be silent with people until you learn how to be silent with God and yourself. If God himself does not merit the fullness of your attention, who will? May God give us one day to, to reach that, you know? May he. And listen together as a community, you know? Plug into what other people are saying. Anyhow, enough about that. Let us pray. In Jeremiah, it says, One moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I have intended to bring on it. All we have to do is repent. St. Seraphim of Seraph says, Acquire the Holy Spirit, acquire the spirit of peace, and thousands around you will be saved. I, I try to take public transit in the city as often as I can. I, I like just being with people and among people and observing them, listening to them, and all the stuff that we've been talking about. And sometimes I get crushed with despair. I see, I stand at, like I'm, I'm at Young and Dundas Square, and I just see thousands of people and I think to myself who's gonna save all these people like one convert joins the church and I spend hours and hours and hours and hours with one person oh my goodness if all these people join the church I would die right because I'm looking at what I can do once I stood there just crushed with despair. I felt like, you know, like a Coke can. I felt like God had just crushed, like, like I'd just been crushed to the ground like a Coke can. And I cried out to God in my agony. And I felt like, I, I, I didn't hear a voice or anything, but it's almost like I saw in my mind like a picture of our, uh, not most recent, but the, the patriarch before him departed patriarch. So now we have to, uh, Pope Tawadros II before him, it was Shenouda. Before him was Cyril VI, who has been canonized a saint. I can tell you stories which exceed the time we have now of whole villages that have been converted in the last 10 years, more than 20 years after his departure, by Pope Cyril VI. Like he's like... like dead and in a tomb. I'm, I, I, I stuttered to say the word dead because it seems like he's more alive than me and you, right? But he's like in a shrine in St. Nina's Monastery near Alexandria, Egypt, okay? That's where his, his, his remains are. 
but whole villages are being converted by him. One man and his holiness. What's the subtitle of, uh, we call him like Pope Cyril VI, the man of prayer. Every time a problem would happen in the church, he would appoint somebody, he'd, he'd create a new, a, new, a, a new title. Bishop of External Affairs. Yalamba Samuel, go and, go and deal with the, the, the president. And, this, and then, uh, you know, something would happen uh, uh, in the church, some heresy. Bishop of Higher Education. Yalamba Gregorius, go and you become the Bishop of, uh, of Higher Education and set these things straight and put an academic system into the church and so on. Uh, 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 but how about education for normal people? Yalla Pope Shenouda will ordain you Pope yeah, will ordain you Bishop become the Bishop of Education before he became the Pope alright and so on and what did he do even in his time people accused him and said this guy has he doesn't he keeps ordaining people because all he has is a high school education he wouldn't know how to deal with presidents and he wouldn't know how to deal with academia and, he, and people accused him of being ignorant and of or being careless no he said I can't let these things disturb me from prayer one man, and he changed the world. He changed the Coptic Church and continues to change the world. When St. Anthony was going to visit St. Paul the Hermit, God says to St. Anthony, but for the prayers of my servant Paul, I would have destroyed the earth long ago. One man, one man's prayers. What about you? What about me? The last step is for us to act in love. When Jesus asks his disciples and he asks St. Peter, he asks all the disciples, who do men say I am? St. Peter jumps out and says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus answers him and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus has promised us that when the church is on the move, no doors will remain closed against it. I always misunderstood this verse. I always understood it the other way around. The church will not be invaded from the outside in. That's not what it says. Jesus says, this is my church and the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against it. So who's moving? The church is invading Hades. God is calling you and me, his body, to reach into Hades like the icon of the resurrection and raise up the dead. Your mission and mine walking out of here, okay, here's your assignment, okay? Everybody write this down, right? It's gonna be, it's gonna be worth 90% of your final mark. We want it double-spaced PDF by midnight, nah, nah, right? This is your, okay, this is your assignment, okay? I want you to go to a cemetery and raise somebody who's dead. Got it? Go. You're looking at me like you're crazy, right? And you can pray and you can fast and you can jump up and down and, you know, you know do cartwheels and the person's not going to come out of the tomb. Who's the only one who raises dead people? Jesus working in you. Jesus is going with you. You think hates can stand in his way? Absolutely not. <sighs> Wrapping up here, Mother Teresa says it so simply and so beautifully. We have not come into the world to be numbered. You are not a number. 
We have been created for a purpose, for great things, to love and be loved. That's it. Love those other people in your generation. Love those whom you want to set an example for. The older generation may or may not involve you. I don't know about your parishes. I've never been there, so I'm no judgment here, okay? But just speaking about 95% of churches in North America, all comers, Orthodox, Protestant, Catholic, everybody, okay? The older generation may or may not be allowing you to do certain things, to get involved in certain things, to have certain leadership positions. Maybe yes, maybe no. But no one is going to tell you you can't love your neighbor. Nobody's going to tell you you can't love the generation younger than you. No one is going to tell you you can't love your elders. No one is going to tell you you can't love your friends that were in Sunday school with you, but you don't see them anymore. No one is going to tell you you can't love your colleagues and your, and your, and your uh, friends at school and your friends at work and your friends here and there and your neighbors. That's what we were created for, to love and to be loved. In Ezekiel, God commands God commands Ezekiel, speak to these dry bones and tell them to rise up. And he does, and he makes an army out of them. God wants to make an army out of you and out of me and out of our generation, for our generation and the generations to come. God says in Habakkuk 1.5, he says, look at the nations and see, be astonished, be astounded. For a work is being done in your days that you would not believe it, were you told. God is saying to you, and he's saying to me today, listen up. God is saying to you, yeah, listen up, John. I want to do something that is so amazing, so astonishing, so astounding, that if I were to tell you what it is, you wouldn't believe me. So don't wait to know what the plan is. Just go. Just go and start loving people. Just go and start listening to them. Just go and start praying for them. Just go and start repenting for them. There's a beautiful story, which we don't have time for now, where one youth starts confessing in confession sins that are completely out of character for him. So the priest doesn't understand why is he doing this. So he goes and he visits him. Turns out he was confessing the sins of his roommate, his new roommate. And the priest confronts him and he says, he says to him, he says to him, but these aren't your sins. And the young man looks at the priest, he says, does it matter? Is not sin sin? Doesn't, it, doesn't God just require repentance so he can bring us new life? He didn't care. He didn't care what the priest will think of him. And he didn't care. He just wants the salvation of his roommate who won't listen to anything he says. That's all God is calling us to do. Just go, just get started. The verse in Habakkuk, you know, in an existential sense, is talking about the cross. Would, would anyone have ever imagined that the creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, the one by whom the whole world was made and formed, would come and would die the most horrific and gruesome death in history, for his creation, for his servants, no one would have believed it if they had been told. Napoleon once looked at a map of China and said, there lies the sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, it will be unstoppable. 
I believe that this is only the more true of the church. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.